Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. My name is Lori, and I am here with my wonderful husband, Aaron, to do the BPD book club for Stop Walking on Eggshells, Chapter 5, Part 2. That is a long title. Before we get started, just wanting to thank two of our new Patreon members, Inge B and Kat McKay. So happy to have you as our new Patreon members, and we incredibly appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully you are enjoying your bonus content, especially the bonus content that's up for BPD month. So, Aaron, you're back. I am still here. So. Despite the book trying to drive me away. <laughs> that's that good. That's good. So this episode is about chapter five, part two. So if you haven't listened to chapter five, part one yet, I would recommend you going um, back. This chapter is about like how people who are living with somebody with borderline can kind of like take care of themselves in some ways. The first part is more about like not taking stuff that they say personally and that kind of thing. Um, And then this, this part two bit starts with um, a heading called take care of yourself. So any overall reflections from last episode before we start jumping into this one? No, I forget most of it at this point. Perfect. Excellent. Me too. Okay. So um, starting with the take care of yourself, a little section here. So it says, uh, the person in your life didn't ask to have the disorder. Fair. Um, And you never asked for someone in your life to have BPD. Supposedly fair. But if you're a typical non-borderline, you have taken on a huge chunk of the blame for the other person's problems. And you probably feel that you and only you can solve them. And then it differentiates a little bit here about people who have chosen to live or be in in a relationship of whatever sort with somebody uh, who has borderline. So Um, Many non-borderlines, especially those who have chosen their relationship with the borderline, try and go through fixing things for other people and rescue them. So this is the difference between like having a family member with borderline that you don't necessarily get to choose versus Aaron and I, who he could realistically leave me at any moment. But he wouldn't. Right? Do you need that validation? I do not need that validation. So I, I don't know if I really thought or considered this when reading it, but just based on what you're saying of like family versus choosing to have some relationship with someone with BPD, does the book really differentiate between, I guess it probably doesn't, doesn't really talk about people who enter into whatever relationship with someone with BPD kind of knowing that they have BPD versus Mm. it seems kind of like a discovery book of. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think to my knowledge, they haven't like mentioned, like you probably went into this relationship thinking that the person you're with has borderline or like knowing that the person you're with has borderline. And I feel like that's because this book comes from a pretty stigmatizing lens where like, I kind of get the vibe that they wouldn't expect somebody like you to like have been like, this chick has borderline. I'm going to date and marry her. It's kind of, well, you've already got yourself into this mess. Here's how you can survive it. But I guess also if you're someone who is going, is starting a relationship with someone that you know has BPD, you probably have 
maybe more tools and more mm-hmm. knowledge than the audience of the book, which is people who are like, oh shit, what's going on? Not to not to minimize the stigmatizing bits of this book because there are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fair. They have like a kind of a list of like examples of like, you could spend 24 hours a day feeling your loved one's pain for him or her. You could put your life on hold, waiting for the borderline to come around to your way of thinking. Or you could let your entire emotional life be dictated by the mood of the moment. But none of that will help the person with borderline. But then it goes on to talk a little bit about some PhD, presumably like a psychologist or something, saying people with BPD need their friends and family members to be stable and clear, not to reject them and not to smother them. They need you to let them take care of themselves and not do things for them that they can do themselves. The best way to do this is to help them by working on yourself. So I agree with half of that. I I just like want to put a caveat, like a little asterisk next to part of that. So I think that the people with BPD and their friends and family, when they are stable and clear, especially with boundaries, it is incredibly beneficial. I don't, do you disagree with that statement? Sorry, which is incredibly beneficial to work on yourself? No, no, no. Being incredibly like stable as a person and clear with boundaries is very helpful for a person with borderline in their like partner or family member. I agree with that is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I also agree with that. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think that it says right before Patricia. Okay. And I think that that's really why you and I get along so well is because you're incredibly stable and clear. And so you're kind of like the like constant. You've been described as the calm to my storm. Rude. How was that rude? That's rude to me, not you. That, that, that's oh, what I okay. meant. gotcha. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I think it's fair to say that that a person who is stable in that sense is is helpful, and that is something that's helpful, really, to anyone. I would say totally, but maybe particularly to people with BPD because. We like need that stability a little more. Yeah, it's like more difficult to. Last episode we talked about like the black and white, and it's more difficult to stabilize that. Mm-hmm. So having someone there who kind of reflects that would be good. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then it talks about how like you can't, you can't take, or you need to let them take care of themselves, not do the things for them that they can do themselves. I agree and disagree with that. I think like part of the reason that I like have been able to kind of live a relatively normal life with a lot of mental illnesses is because, you know, my dad made me go to school, even though I was incredibly anxious. And like, I kind of was in some ways told to suck it up, which obviously is not like a good thing. Like it's not validating, but it's helpful because you need to push yourself outside of your comfort zone to be able to like start recovery. Yeah. Because I think in in a way what that's doing is really forcing you to teach yourself ways to deal with what you're feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially exposure therapy, but not necessarily like for just anxiety. Right. And so while I think that it's important that we like don't baby people and don't like, yeah, do the stuff do everything for them and then like kind of not not give them the opportunity to like experience that that like 
fear and anxiety that then helps heal. I also think that like, there needs to be a fine balance of like, sometimes I just can't fucking do the thing. Yeah. And like, yeah, sometimes like, let's say you're feeling overwhelmed about something, then it's, it's not Lori can't do X, Y, Z. Maybe she can't do X, Y, Z in the moment and that's fine. And I think that's part of a give and take in a relationship in any relationship is like, right now I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I can't deal with doing the dishes today or something Mm -hmm. like that. And that's where the other person says, yeah, sure. I'll do that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and then it should go the other way at some point too, I'm sure. Exactly. And like, you know, potentially I need you to help me with things more than you need me to help you with things, but we're not keeping score. So it doesn't matter. Oh, are we not? (laughs) I'll burn that book that I have. (laughs) Um, right. So like, anyways, I think it's just important to like, remember that like, yes, we need to help people like experience distress in some ways in order to be able to like get the exposure and, and feel that these things aren't as distressing in the future, but also don't be a douchebag and like say, well, sorry, you know how to do that. Learning exposure, figure it out. Yeah. It's just like, it's just not beneficial for anyone. It's stupid. I I think I think that's also our interpretation of this extremely vague idea of letting someone take care of themselves and do things for them themselves. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it, it hasn't been my experience that someone with BPD is, BPD is like, oh no, I can't ever, I, I don't know, I can't ever wash the floor. Mm hmm. So I I don't really know if they're getting at that or like having difficult conversations or needing someone else to help regulate your emotions for you. It's just not super clear to me. Yeah, that's fair. I don't, I don't, I guess I don't really know what they're getting at, but to me, it's a lot of anxiety related things. And I think like, it could probably be said that there's a lot of depression related things too, right? Like, you know, if a person with depression is like really, really deep in it and like, can't get up and check the mail for like six months. Yeah. Of course they technically could go get the mail, but like, it's not, it's also like takes two seconds for you to go get the mail. Mm -hmm. So like maybe one day you can go together and get the mail and that's helpful to like, kind of get them out of the house or whatever. But it's it's not like you should just be like, well, fuck you. You know how to get the mail. Like, I'm not going to do it. Like, yeah, I think it's a different way of thinking about it and like an approach to what you're doing. Because maybe you're not doing the person any favors by just going to get the mail every time for them. Mm-hmm. But like you said, taking steps to help them. And that yeah. is helpful. I think probably more helpful than saying, fine, I'll just do it all the time. And more helpful than being like, no, fuck you, you do it. You don't want to enable people, but you also need to be supportive and a good person. Yeah. Like that's like long story short. There's a quote here from a person with borderline that really says like, for those of you who have decided to stay with your borderline family member, thank you. Thank you. We so need your love and support. We need you to believe in us and encourage our recovery. Blah, 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 blah. Then they say, you can't lose your own identity. You must come first. And I say this to people a lot. And I think it's again, that like, especially family members, I think it's also that like fine balance of like, you can't come first, but also you also 
can't or sorry you have to come first but you also can't be like well i come first bitch yeah i i agree and i think this happens a few times in the chapter where it's you can't lose your own identity or you, you can't. can't lose your own identity. You have to come first. You have to take care of yourself first. You have to be the one to get help. Well, yeah. It's basically saying like, look out for number one kind of thing. Yes. Which when I'm talking to family members and they're like, I'm at wit's end. I've been trying so hard to do everything that I can to support the person in my life with borderline. Every single day I'm living in fear. Every single day I'm being abused every single day, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you need to set boundaries that provide you safety. And and it literally says here because if you lose if you lose it whatever that fuck whatever that means then the borderline doesn't have a supporter. I don't agree with the fact that like you're the angel in their life and you're the like person without BPD and therefore you need to be there for them. But also, you chances are you have other relationships in your life and other people in your life that like rely on you in some way. And your entire existence and personal safety can't go to an individual who isn't in the right place. Yeah. And I remember what my train of thought was. Cool. It talked about uh, later on, and I think before too, you can't change someone, you mm-hmm. can change yourself, and you can't expect a person to change, you can't force a person to change, blah, blah, blah. Sure, all true, but there's still that balance in a relationship of or like you shouldn't want to change someone and people shouldn't change for you people do change like yeah any relationship is a give and take and if we all just acted completely selfishly in terms of what i want now then Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to hold that relationship good example aaron was not a cat person when we started dating And now he's the biggest cat person in the universe. And he loves cats so much because he was like, oh, I guess if Lori likes cats, I'll get a cat. And like, yeah, you change because you went outside of your comfort zone and got a cat that you were like, oh, whatever. Maybe that's not the best example. I mean, no, it's it's a good example. And you just. Your life would not be the same without me. It's true. I do love Mr. Yeah. Just in the sure you can't lose your own identity, but you can't you can't only look out for your own interests all the time. And I, in fairness, in fairness, I can see that sometimes when we, as people with borderline are incredibly distressed and like have been in a really bad place for a long period of time, it may come off to those around us that we're only looking out for ourselves and we're selfish. Because it, I can see where that maybe comes across. But, and I actually had a conversation with a friend last night about this, where we were talking about like the concept of manipulation when it comes to borderline. And it's like, is it manipulation or is are you trying to get your needs met? Is it selfishness or is your entire existence so chaotic and stressful and like dysregulated that you literally are trying to survive and therefore it feels like you're only thinking about you? I can see where it comes across like that, but for those people who don't experience the distress that people with borderline experience, perhaps trying to like think about that in a different way would be helpful. Yeah, I think so. Ultimately, I think it's fair to say you can't lose your own identity. Like Mm. even if the identity changes and because people change over time and through relationships, like 
you don't want to change you, I guess. No, and nor should you. And same goes for any relationship between like ter- two neurotypical people, right? Yeah. It's not a BPD versus non-BPD thing. Yeah. It's just like humans. Yeah. And like there are people without BPD that like that, that happens so all the time. You're caught up in relationships and you're like, oh, there goes my friend. Yeah. And it's like, oh, the person that I'm dating likes karate. Now I love karate. Yeah, totally. Totally. I'm obsessed with rock climbing. I'm obsessed with magic mushrooms. I'm obsessed with whatever. And you're like, Okay. I mean, I'm an obsessive person. So like, maybe I shouldn't be passing judgments, but so then the next little section here talks about detaching with love. Do you know what Al-Anon is? It talks about Al-Anon here. Um, My best guess would have been Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. So it's the AA, like Alcoholics Anonymous. For family. For family. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it stands for. But anyways, it I just thought it was a like different way of saying AA because it's really the same L. It is. Not, yeah, no, it's but... it's for like the family members and whatever. So they talk a little bit about Al-Anon. I mean, love or hate the AA model, the 12-step model. There's pros and cons. Some people swear by it. Some people hate it, whatever. But they talk about like the need for personal limits and they go through a, a number of criteria. Like in Al-Anon, we learn X, Y, Z. And I had a couple of like, Again, I'm basically editing this book as I go. So, you know, it says um, to not do for others what others can do from the, for themselves. And then I put like within reason, right? Which we talked about earlier. Yeah. And then they also said, this again is just like quotes from the Al-Anon like philosophy, I guess. It says not prevent a crisis if it is in the natural course of events. I don't know if I really even understand what that means. I literally said not clear what they mean here. So if you're an individual who's gone through Al-Anon, or maybe this is also an AA, and you know what this means. Like, I would love to hear that because it's an interesting, like, piece. But I thought on it for a while and I was like. Like, maybe it's getting at. Oh, I just. You oh, no, you go. Yours is probably better than mine. No, you go. I think it might be the same. Thought. Uh, I was going to say, maybe it's getting at, like. Let's say that the clear course of action after everything is that our relationship is deteriorating. Then don't change mm-hmm. everything and do a bunch of stuff to stop the inevitable because it's just going to end up in disaster anyways. Okay. That's interesting. That's not what I was going to say. That totally could be it. I'm wondering if I don't know enough about AA guys. Um, I just know that it's like a higher power related concept, which that doesn't speak to me. So I've never considered it. I know people that have gone through like Overeaters Anonymous and it's been helpful for them and Co-Dependent Anonymous and that's been helpful for them. So I'm like, again, if it's helpful for you, go for it. I I wonder also about this not preventing a crisis if it's going to occur. It could be around like hitting rock bottom. If you think your loved one is going to hit rock bottom and that might become their like awakening, don't try and like brace the fall. Right. You're not like doing them any favors by trying to keep them afloat at that point yeah again we have no idea what we're talking about zero clue we're literally making this shit up as we go along but either way i think it i think it could be totally what they're talking about we're i think about to move on to take your life back i think the problem that i have with this section detach with the love is that it really doesn't explain what that is or like how to do it or how to do it it's just kind of a title and to me, if I'm 
reading the title detached with love. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But how? Totally. That's fair. I mean, I feel like in some way, no, because this is a subheading. This book is laid out in a bit of a weird way, to be honest with you. I, I do get the feeling sometimes that the book was written and then editors put in titles that sound dramatic into places where sometimes they don't necessarily work or echo what was trying to be said. You know, that's a dream job I've never thought of. It's just, hey, Lori, take this book and add drama to it. Like, that sounds <laughs> ideal. And like bold shit and underline shit and gray out shit. That sounds great. Anyways, we're moving on to the take your life back little subsection here. It says, don't delay your own happiness. Grab it right now. Um, there are many things you can do today to take your life back. Uh, the borderline will learn that he can live through a temporary separation and that you will still care about him and her when you return. Encouraging retreats actually builds the relationship. <sighs> Your thoughts first. Do you have thoughts on this? Just a vast oversimplification without any how to. Correct. The most important thing about this is I'm again, I don't necessarily fully disagree with this. Being able to survive a temporary like separation, not like, you know, we're have on a break Ross Rachel style, but like, you know, you're going out for the day and I'm staying at home and that might be distressing for somebody with borderline. That's fine. But what you need to, to do. And the most important thing about this is the consistency of like, if you say, Hey, Lori, I'm going away for a guy's weekend. I'll be back on Monday. If on Monday you don't come back and then it's Wednesday and you come back, that is going to send me into a giant spiral. And it means that the next time that you leave and you say, Hey, I'll be back on Monday. I'm going to not believe you. And it's going to cause a huge issue. Yeah. You're not going to want to be able to have that detachment. Exactly. So again, like that piece about like how that's like massive. Yeah. Because the way that it's laid out to me is like, if I was just reading through this detached with love, take your life back. And before that, it was all about how, you know, it's not your fault. And there are, there are some issues and you can't change them. Like that kind of seems like love you, but I'm going to piece it. And then it just doesn't really provide anything helpful to me. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think they're trying in the next little section here, they go through like a list of like, be good to yourself. Here's some ideas. And they're all pretty cringy. Yeah. But before that, Oh, sorry. There's the, Three C's and three G's. Yeah, memorize the three C's and three G's. And again, I don't know if this was like editor dramatization or author dramatization, but the three C's that you need to memorize are, I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. Okay, I think, I guess those are all fair to say. Uh, the cause it. In some circumstances, I guess, yeah, yeah, I, it's that's not fair. necessarily fair. Obviously, it's a wide range of situations, blah, 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 but yeah, and factors. And... But again, it's taking any sort of blame off of the individual. Who, yeah, and that's, that's a recurring theme. theme is that it's just always you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. The other person did something wrong. There's no possible way that you're the one who's acting unreasonably. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, the three um, G's. The three G's. 
get off the BP's back, get out the BP's way. I don't of, but your way. I was re-dramatizing it. Dramatizing. Yeah. Okay. But now that that's ruined, get on with your own life. The three G's are kind of shitty. Yep. Don't love them. Um, I mean, like, yeah, I don't love them. I don't even have anything to say on that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't like, know if there's more to say. Yeah, just, exactly. So, um, there's a, this giant list of things that you should do to help yourself. Like, try a new food. I mean, like, I'm never one to turn down food, but like, you know, it's kind of dumb. Buy yourself an outrageously expensive chocolate truffle. This reminds me so much of something in DBT where there's this cringy ass list, ways to take care of yourself. And all I remember is me and my friend in DBT thought it was really funny because it has like masturbate as like part of the list, which like, fair enough. That's actually like a brilliant skill. But when you're like 18 and you're going through therapy and you're a little dysregulated and you're kind of causing shit, we thought that was hysterical. Anyways, I think this list is like kind of not cited, mind you, brought a little bit from DBT. Um, I mean, I, I guess like a lot, it, it's fine. To me, it just reads like it should be a TikTok with the shitty TikTok yeah, voice like being the, like, yeah, four things that you can do to make your life better. Totally. I, w- I do like a couple of them. I will say that realize that illness or no Ill- illness, no one person can fulfill all of your needs. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And then get a massage. And then get a massage and try a new food. If you have let friendships falter, unfalter them. Bit weird, but I get what they're getting at. When you go out, do not spend all of your time talking about the person with borderline. Basically. Although I will say, on occasion, if all you can talk about is one or two things, it gets very, very, very annoying. So try and like mix it up. Ask questions about other people. It makes you make friends faster. But the point, I think, is a good point of you need to be able to take time for yourself and... And I think it talks about it. It kind of hints at it at some point later. Like sometimes you need to deal with your own shit or you need to be able to have time alone and time separate. And that's fine. And I actually think that that is one of the best things about me and Aaron's relationship is that we are very good. And I'm sure I've said this before. I'm sorry if I sound like broken market. We have this like very good ability to be like, hey, I love you so much, but I'm really grumpy right now. I'm going to go and do X, Y, Z without you. And neither of us seem to get offended by it. No. Like, there might have been a, an occasion where we were, but I don't think so. And if it was, it wasn't like a like, big enough deal to remember it. Yeah. Like it wasn't notable, but it's like our ability to just be like, Hey, you know what? I, I love you, but I don't want to hang out with you right now. Yeah. Like I'm grumpy. I'm not grumpy at you. I'm just grumpy. So I would like to be alone. Totally. And we say that all the time, <laughs> probably at least once a week, to be honest. Uh, And it's really helpful. They also say there's a little paragraph uh, here where it talks about like maintain realistic expectations. Borderline behavior takes years to develop. It is ingrained. Don't expect miracles. Celebrate small steps in the right direction and appreciate the things you enjoy about the person with BPD. So I said for the realistic expectations part, I said like we can accomplish a lot, but not overnight. And I think that's important, right? Because some people, A, like think there's a magic pill or a magic therapy or a magic hitting rock bottom and then self-realization or having a kid is going to fix all of their problems or stopping drinking is going to fix all their problems. Like that's not true, but we can, we can accomplish a lot. And that's where this like set realistic expectations doesn't say like borderline is totally treatable. It just says like diminish your expectations is kind of how I read this. I read it. I maybe read it like more positively with 
more positively in the sense to me that's the author saying i mean exactly what they said don't set unreasonable expectations or set reasonable expectations like just because you've now had your your detached with love mm. doesn't mean that bing bang boom fixed thanks for the book i'm done interesting okay so, I mean, that's, in, that's interesting because we read it by the different perspectives that this book is written for. You read it from the person who's living with somebody with borderline. I read it from the experience of borderline. So that's really interesting. Um, so in the whole, like, think about the thing, appreciate the things you enjoy about the person with BPD. Now I'm just going to ask you all of the things that you love about my BPD. Um, Don't make me keep this awkward pause in here. <laughs> no, I do. Do I have to do this? You do. I want a snappy okay. list. Things that I love about your BPD. Uh, you get really excited about things, which is really fun and cute. Um, I like to laugh at your expense when you get really excited about like people playing beer pong. I just like every time a ball is thrown, it could be like six inches away from cups. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I'm actually very fun to play beer pong around because yes, I get very into it. Same thing with like TV shows or movies, even if she's seen them a million times, it's just like <laughs> the gasps and I always laugh and it's absolutely hilarious but in like a cute charming way yeah and oh um <laughs> things that I love about your BPD I don't want to sound too much like this book but it's like the book talks a lot about how make sure that you're not putting too much stake in how much the person with BPD is like praising you because it can be really good for your ego boost blah blah but it's 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 nice to it's nice to feel loved i'm glad yeah i'm glad my manipulation is working on you yeah cool well thanks for that po- podcast is now over no change <laughs> um i did appreciate one sentence back though i think we skipped this is still talking to the person without bpd and says it's more in terms of if you're drinking too much or eating too much or unhealthy coping mechanisms, seek professional help if you need to. Hmm. And how's that? How's that going for you? Great. Um, (laughs) But I I mean, it's, it's good for them to, even though it's kind of in an unrelated context, be pointing out like, maybe it's not a bad thing for you to also have help. Totally. Don't give me those eyes. I've been trying to get Aaron to go to counseling for years just because it's important and his work benefits cover counseling. So like just go twice a year. I'm barely until now. Yeah. But like, yeah, now you have no excuse, Aaron. <laughs> if you're not in counseling once a week, I will be like publicly shaming you, which I'm doing right now. I love you so much. I'm I just kidding. You, you can make your own decisions and you can support your own wellness. But for my sake, I would really love if you would go to a counselor that would tell you to just buy me a lot of things. That would be great. I will refer you to a counselor. <laughs> yeah, do you know one? I can find one. I'm sure that you can pay people to pretend to be counselors. What show? What show was that? Ozark. Ozark, where yes. they were both paying the marriage counselor to like agree with the yes. other one. That was so funny. <laughs> I was like, I would love it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good bit. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Moving on. Bolster your identity and self-esteem. I don't, I didn't find any of this interesting, to be honest, other than like seek therapy to deal with blah, 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 blah. 
In a survey conducted with non-borderlines, 75% of the non-borderlines said they had sought therapy themselves. Yeah. Wow. Um, Way to ruin the numbers, Aaron. (laughs) But again, I think that's, I think that's a key piece in echoing what was, what we just talked about that, like, again, it's talking more about dealing with how you've been affected by the person with BPD, Mm -hmm. but maybe just maybe if that's the reason that you go to therapy, you might also uncover some insights that show behavior that you're giving that might not be helpful to the situation. Totally. I'm going to be very honest here. As much as I like rag on Aaron for not going to therapy, because I just think every human that has access to therapy should go to therapy. Sometimes I get completely terrified that if you were to actually go to therapy, that your therapist would tell you to leave me. And then you would do, then you would do it, which is, I totally understand. That is a full on BPD spiral, but I worry about that all the time. I think, I think that it's 50% fair to worry about the 50% being the first 50%. It is possible that, you know, I think that you've experienced mental health professionals that are not sympathetic towards people with BPD Mm -hmm. and it's possible. And I'm sure that it's happened to someone where a mental health professional was like, this sounds like it's not great for you. You should leave. But I won't leave you. That's the that's the wrong fifty percent. Ah, okay. That that you don't have to worry about. Um, what would you say to a counselor if they were like being stigmatizing about BPD to you in a session? I don't understand how it would come up, and I don't know because, like, I mean, if I'm being real, if someone was being stigmatizing, I'd probably be like, uh huh, uh huh, uh-huh, and then never go back. Right. Yeah. Because you um, you do not like confrontation. <laughs> Yeah. Say like, oh, that's not been my experience. Mm. I just don't know that anything that I would be speaking to a mental health professional about would be in the context of the person in my life with BPD did this because they have BPD. So I'm perfect. And Aaron would never talk about me in counseling is what I'm hearing. Is that what everybody else is hearing? I would appreciate if you could write that in the reviews. what was that chapter talking about where sometimes there's like what you say and what you hear? <laughs> I'm totally joking, everyone. Just, you know. Uh, anyways, that's just that's just me being honest. Okay. Uh, the fucking banter. People are either going to be like, this is the stupidest podcast I've ever listened to, or they're going to think it's somewhat entertaining. Why is this guy on here? Yeah, exactly. Who is this guy? Take responsibility for your own behavior is the next big heading. As a general heading? Yeah. yeah fair enough. <laughs> That seems like a poster. I don't know. One of those word art posters. Fucking love word art. Dude. Same. I should make the like episode, like Instagram post of this. It's just like word art. In word art. Does word art still exist? I haven't used uh, myself on, word in a long time. Literally on word still. Love it. Yeah. R.I.P. Clippy though. There are days. Team says Clippy memes. I like it. And like, they're like in- integrated into teams. Oh, and it's not just like, like a gift? Say, yeah, it'll like. Like, you can, like, send clippies to people that, like, say different things. That's really funny. Like, I I appreciate that Microsoft did that as, like, a little joke. Anybody under, like, 28 is like, what? (laughs) 
but it's what great. What the fuck is Clippy? Yeah, or Teams. Uh, no, anyways. Okay. Um, Clippy. Okay, so I, I highlighted you have power over your own actions and you control your reactions to the troublesome BPD behavior. Totally agree with that. You, We are all responsible for our own behaviors and reactions. Sometimes our behaviors and reactions we're not proud of. And sometimes they're a combination of like a hundred other factors that we may not have direct control over. Yeah, like maybe somewhat agree on my end. You control your own reactions. And that's not to, I don't think that there should be an excuse of like, oh, well, I was too mad, therefore I couldn't control. Mm. But, like, sometimes in the heat of the moment, you might say something that wasn't nice and, like, mm-hmm. you didn't intend to harm someone. And No, but at the end of the day, I am responsible for that. You are responsible for it, but, yeah, I don't know. I guess control of your own reactions, to me, makes it seem more intentional. Mm then and that's not just like people with bpd oh yeah yeah in general you're it's a reaction because it's like yeah like the not necessarily i'm curious like what is the actual definition of reaction right yeah you're responsible for your decisions i'm sorry you're responsible for it anyways you have control over your decisions do you have control over your reactions is what i question because if you have control over your reaction then at that point it's a decision yeah i mean the definition says a reaction is an action performed or a feeling experienced in response to a situation or event so it doesn't say like the immediacy of that so it could be a conscious decision or which is interesting anyways yeah to me that's a decision more than a reaction well you're wrong according to google yeah it's not the first time no Aaron's going to read a quote from a book called Emotional Blackmail, 1997. All right. Emotional Blackmail, 1997. Every day we teach people how to treat us by showing them what we will and won't accept, what we refuse to confront, and what we let slide. We may believe that we can make another person's troublesome behavior disappear if we don't make a fuss. But the message we send is, it worked. Do it again. Yeah. I mean, they talked earlier about like positive and negative reinforcement, like kind of basically the same thing. Uh, and I said like, yeah, I do agree that boundaries and consistency are huge. Like we already talked about that in this episode. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think technically true kind of on a micro level of if you don't tell someone that something they did bothered you, then they might not know that something that they did bothered you. Yeah. That's, that's something that my dad always like taught me is like, people can't read minds. Like if you need somebody to know something, you need to tell them it. And like, that's obviously easier said than done, but it's important. Yeah. I I think, I think it's just kind of presented in a black and white way, which is a little ironic. (laughs) Um, In that. The suggestion is that there's a conscious thought of they haven't pushed back. Therefore that's permission to do it again. And I don't think it's a lot of the time really a conscious thought so much as a, 
you do it again because you, you haven't been told otherwise. It, mm-hmm. it, it sounds the it's same, but to me, there's behavior. a difference. Yeah. yeah. It's just like human behavior. So the next part says, consider how the relationship meets your needs. This is the next heading. Uh, in our interview with Howard Wein- Weinberg, PhD, he said, if you care about someone with BPD, remember that you did not choose the borderline because you are sick. That's interesting. Uh, you chose this person because they were important to you. And then I said, or because we're awesome and lovable. Yeah. That is my edit. I don't, I don't like that sentence and I can't really put my finger on why I don't like that sentence. It, cause it implies that like the only reason that you would love somebody with BPD because there's something wrong with you. Like, I realize that that's not what he's saying. Like he's actually saying the opposite of that, but nobody said that in the first place. Yeah. I think that's what it is, is who's saying <laughs> I must have an issue because I love someone with BPD. Yeah. But I mean, maybe some people are saying that and it's just not like what we have heard or experienced. Yeah. Cause I, I think it talks in the book a lot about how you're not responsible for the person with BPD's behavior and I think maybe like the idea is that this is kind of an extension of that in that, like you're feeling blamed for a lot of things and then you're internalizing that blame and blaming yourself for things. But Mm -hmm. it just, I just don't like the way that it's worded. No, me either. Hate it. Earlier when I was reading, um, Lori asked me how my reading was going. I said, good. Maybe I, (laughs) I read something and then I was like, oh, that's great. And then I was like, oh, that's not great. And then I didn't know how to feel about it. And maybe talking it out will help like mm-hmm. verbalize that. Huh, it's almost like that's therapy. Why would I go to therapy when I have you here? <laughs> that, that is terrible. <laughs> Nobody listen to him. You wouldn't be reading this book if the relationship was completely negative. You would just walk away. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. I suppose that the book is for people who are interested in maintaining their relationship and still see the positive. And so then I was like, oh yeah, that's like, that's a good thing. And then where it went downhill is when I was like, well, if I'm a person who's having difficulty in my life, with a relationship with someone who has BPD and I'm seeking to maintain that relationship. And this is the book that I read. (laughs) It's kind of saying, fuck them. Yeah. I mean, it's a book is I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's saying, you know, if you were like that, you would have already walked away, but it's just, if then there's so much negative, in the book and so much it's the person with BPD's fault Mm -hmm. and you never do anything wrong. It was just kind of like a downturn in how I felt about that because yeah. Yeah. yeah, The, the audience right now is people who haven't made the decision to leave. (laughs) So we're going to convince you (laughs) to exactly. And then they're being given the book saying like, you've done nothing wrong and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, um, it was like a roller coaster of understanding how I felt about that. And I still 
don't really know. I think that your insight is really good there and that I think about it. Uh, no, I don't know. I agree. I agree with everything you're saying. I felt the same way about it. I was like, yeah, that's fair. Then I hadn't really thought about the fact that like the book is essentially saying like, therefore you should leave them, which like kind of discounts everything that there's that, that, that any positive in that two sentences is discounted by this book. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I don't think the intention of the book is to say you should leave them, but when I'm reading through all of the stuff and it's like detached with love and you know, you're responsible for yourself. You got to do what's good for you. You got to look out for yourself. Like the reading between the lines that I would get from that as someone in that relationship and then throw in the idea of if you're reading this, it's because you haven't left yet or other people have. I'm like, hmm, maybe I should just call it quits then. Yeah, totally, totally. Then it talks a little bit about why people might stay in a relationship with borderline. So here's a list of things that Aaron- This is the list that I should have said. Here's a list of things that Aaron forgot to say about me. (laughs) People with borderline are incredibly interesting, engaging, bright, charming, funny, witty, and alluring. If you say a single one of those words, you said you make a cute gasp when you play beer pong. (laughs) Um, I'm just kidding. There was a time where we went to improv and they asked, fuck, what did you say? They asked that we were like at the front of this improv show and they were like, Hey, you like, what's, what's your favorite thing about your, how, how would you describe her or something like that? Like, how would you describe like your partner? And what did you say? They said attractive or something like that. Something. It was not what they were getting at. <laughs> Long story short. So then I was relentlessly made yeah, fun of mocked, by the improv people. He mocked, they, he was mocked for a long time. Um, great on the spot, clearly, in describing people. I, yeah. But you're so rational. It's annoying. And I love you. Okay. Um, stop making excuses and denying the severity of the situation. Quick pause. Can you get back again? No. Stop making excuses and denying the severity of the situation. You're kind of just injecting into people's mind. It's actually worse than you think. Regardless of how you think about it, it's worse than you think. Yes, that is a good point. And then the first line of this paragraph is remaining hopeful is essential, which is slightly. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is bullshit, but remain hopeful. Yeah, exactly. Um... Yeah, I... Everyone has good and bad qualities, yes, but hope must be tempered with a realistic view of the situation and an assessment of the likelihood of change. Yes, 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 yes. That is super interesting because the assessment of the likelihood to change when this book was written is not necessarily accurate to the actual assessment of the ability for people to recover from borderline or to live with borderline with like a super like amazing and like normal life. So, you know, finding a realistic expectation of the assessment and of likelihood to change in this context is kind of like the realistic expectation is that like there isn't good outcomes, which is not true. Is that fair? Or am I? I'm reading between many lines here. I didn't really consider that thought. Um, I suppose it's a way of thinking about it. I. 
to me, it's just kind of echoing what it was talking about before, like with the realistic view of. To me, it was like saying, yeah, you're. You're not going to see. Depending on what it means to you, recovery in the next week, you're not going to. You're not going to you might see improvement, but it doesn't say that, but yeah, yeah. but you're not going to like the problems don't magically go away because you've read the book and because you yeah, use some of the they techniques wouldn't money if they wouldn't make money from these books and like to me the assessment of the likelihood of change is i guess i see it in your way because the likelihood of change really means any change not like when i read it i thought more of the likelihood of recovery whatever mm-hmm. that means but it really does say the likelihood of change yeah so i suppose you're right always <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't like read it like that but rereading yeah. it to me i guess that makes sense keep in mind that like my entire existence is like reading listening studying experiencing things about borderline so i'm like reading this with a context that is far beyond the like reading between the lines that they're hoping for in this book but i think yeah. it's important that like the if somebody's reading between these lines like the way that i'm perceiving it it's super negative in a lot of ways yeah i mean i think it is yeah regardless um but there are interesting parts where we read things differently mm-hmm. and super interesting yeah and i don't think either of us are really the the audience of this book so i don't think either of us is the person like the necessarily right in the way that things are likely to be read. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They, other people could be getting something completely different. Yeah. We should read this with one of my parents. <laughs> See what they think. <laughs> they have read this. One of them. Um, okay. So the next, I, I'm going to skip that example. I, I feel like sometimes these examples get a little long and the people that listen to this podcast have their own examples. We don't need to Um, So understanding the effects of intermittent reinforcement. So this is where they talk about. um, If I don't even know, like, I don't, is this important to talk about? I mean, it's just another illustration and example of what we talked about earlier and what we talked about with part one is the positive and negative reinforcement and it's really just an example it's that's all it is it's you know your psych 101 class yeah the mouse hits a button the mouse gets a snack that's positive reinforcement mouse is going to want to hit the button Mm -hmm. and then the 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 concept here about intermittent reinforcement is that if the mouse hits the button every time it gets a snack and then you stop having the button give snacks it's going to be relatively quick for the mouse to be like uh maybe this button doesn't give me snacks anymore but if you give it every like eight times and then every one time and then every seven times and then every 12 times, the but- the mouse is going to keep hitting that button, hoping that maybe it's 27 times this time instead of 26. Yeah. So it's saying with the person with BPD, whether you're reinforcing whatever behavior that you're reinforcing, you can't predict when that behavior will occur again. Exactly. Oh, you know what? It's actually saying the opposite. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's saying in the direction of, 
when the person with BPD is quote unquote manipulating you with yeah, reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. And I say manipulating you because that's how they referred to it yeah. either in the first half of the chapter or in the third chapter. Yeah. That's not his perception of it. But what's really interesting is they have this little grayed out box here that says, if you feel addicted to the borderline, despite his or her harsh treatment of you, consider whether intermittent reinforcement is playing a part in the relationship. And I put, oh my God, so many of my relationships with an ex-boyfriend of mine, because he would like sometimes treat me super well. And then he would not show up and then he would treat me horribly. And then he would treat me really well. And then he would like, and I never knew. So I was always expecting that maybe this time is going to be the good one. Right. So I would keep Because it could be the good one or it could be the best. Yeah. And I was saying this literally yesterday. I was like, or whatever, a couple days ago to you. I was like, I am so surprised. It's been like seven years since he just like disappeared out of my life. I am still like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, when is he going to come back? Not, not that I would leave Aaron for him, but like, when is he going to try to come back into my life? Right. And anyways, so this was like a weird self-exploration for me, but ironically it was not the borderline. Yeah, it was the other way around. So then the next heading is recognize the exhilaration of the roller coaster ride. The flattery, attention, and obsessiveness are exhilarating to the ego to feel so important to someone can be exciting and empowering. And I said, ask Aaron about this. I referred to this bit earlier. Yeah. And I just think that, like, to me, it's it feels exaggerated. Maybe you don't compliment me enough. Well, <laughs> um, the compliments I give you, I can't say on there. Yeah, I, I just like <laughs> we can leave that bit in because they can fill it. With, <laughs> use your imagination. His number uh, is no. The flattery, attention, and obsessiveness obsessiveness are exhilarating to the ego. I know to me that that doesn't speak to me. And I think that any, any person likes to feel loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're also not a very egotistical person. I think there's other people in my life that like maybe would take that on more and get a bigger head more than you would. Right. Yeah, I guess maybe. But like, I, I don't, if it doesn't relate to you, that's fine. I was just curious. Yeah, I just like not, not any more than, than if anyone without BPD made me feel special. Sorry, said Dan. Nobody without BPD made you feel special. Sorry, I, like it's not any more Rude. exhilarating like people like compliments like yeah I, I don't know it's I compliment everyone I'm like if I'm like at a grocery store I'm like oh my god your hair looks so cute today or like oh my god I love your nails or oh my god your smile's really pretty or yeah like, whatever like I just those are all looks based which isn't ideal but like I'm not gonna go up to a fucking cashier and be like oh my god you are so smart like I don't know <laughs> yeah it's like to feel so important to someone can be exciting and empowering and to me, that's not echoed in that. Obviously, I feel important to you, but yeah, you'd fucking hope so. Yeah, but like, I don't feel like you're kissing the ground that I walk on, kind of thing. And I get the impression that that's kind of what they're saying is that the highs is basically this person is praising you and like you are absolutely everything. And I don't know if that's like really you're not BPDing right, Lori. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me get 
<laughs> Let me do it better. Be right back. No. Uh, I mean, it is, it is very common for people with BPD to do that. And I definitely find myself doing that. I don't find myself doing that as much with you because we have such a stable relationship. It just is. Right. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, you know, every once in a while I'll get a new friend or I'll get a new person at work or I'll get a new whatever. And then I'm like, oh my God, they're the best thing ever. Blah, 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 because they're new and exciting. But like, it doesn't, you're like everything to me. Right. It, it, it just like that that is it always has been it always will be like it it just is yeah but like you just said like you're everything to me and i just well not really but it, yeah like i don't feel like if you lost the podcast or lost friends or lost your job like i don't feel that it would be i'm just gonna fill that void like obviously would assist you through or whatever, but it's not like you would still have a loss because I'm not everything. Yeah. I say you're every, like, I don't actually mean that. Um, yeah. But like, but I think this is saying like people feel like the person with BPD feels that way about them. Right. Yes. Yeah. I've been there though. Yeah. Fair. I've been there. Not with you pretty boring at the end of the day that's true <laughs> um, no but i've never been in a relationship that this that's this stable so it doesn't need to be ups and downs it's just is uh, i want to move on to the how to get unstuck situation uh this little gray box it says do you feel unable to move because the danger lies in every choice which is again the drama of it all but at the same time feel compelled to do something does satisfaction with this relationship depend on your borderline making specific changes, even though it hasn't happened yet? Here are six common reasons why borderlines feel non-borderlines feel stuck and what to do about them. And there's a bunch uh, like unhealthy bonds for, forged by emotional abuse, feelings of fear, guilt, low self-esteem, the need to rescue, blah, 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 blah. The one that I think is incredibly important to here is obligation, roles, and duty. And I think this goes both ways. So the the example here is how could I not visit my mother on her birthday? Well, I'm sorry. If your mother treats you like shit or is a huge cause of the trauma in your life, you shouldn't have to go visit her on her birthday just because she's your mom. I that's funny. I read that completely differently and well, I think I'm reading it wrong because I have potentially my own trauma. But <laughs> no, I, I just like your way makes more sense. I think like I just when I read it mentally, I moved around where the emphasis was and I read it as how can I not visit my mother on her birthday? Like what's the, what excuse can I make? That is a book that I was reading. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, there is another section here or another little like quote here. This is send supportive, healthy messages. Like I'm here if you need me, but your choices and consequences belong to you. And I think you know, maybe that's slightly bitchier than it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. It's like slightly bitchier than it needs to be, but at the end of the day, it's kind of true. Yeah, I think it's just like a simplification of, like, if you're sending that text message, there's a whole lot of other context that surrounded that. Yeah, for sure. So it, you, you shouldn't just like, you know, someone's going through a rough patch and text them, here if you need, you need me but you're responsible yeah. for your own actions no. and consequences of course like don't make that like you're like like one of your like <laughs> your auto reply yeah like that's horrible but like you know in some circumstances that's true 
but could be said nicer. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there are circumstances in which that. Like one time, Aaron decided that he was going to give our cat an Easter egg hunt with dental treats of like those little like whiskeys, dental green treats. And he was like, he's going to have the best Easter egg hunt. Ever. I think we were leaving the next day. So I like set it up for him. Yes. So that he could have fun while we were gone. And we came home to green puke all over our house. And I said, your choices and your consequences belong to you. And then he had to clean it all up. I don't even think it was when we came home. I think it was the next morning before we left. Just overnight, he went and found them all and just gorged on them until he threw up. We were like, oh, it was so much fun. He said this. And then... You're totally right. I don't even think it made up the it, it made the night. Yeah. So in that circumstance, the choices and consequences belong to you, Aaron. <laughs> okay. I love that story. I you will never live that story down. Um, he had a great time, I'm sure. I, well, until he puked all <laughs> over the place. But yes, <laughs> make decisions for yourself is the next heading. Believing that you are helpless may also serve the purpose of ridding yourself of any responsibility for making changes or creating a better life for yourself. You may think that if you're helpless, that means you're the victim, a person that others can't blame for the situation. You must understand that you do have the power to change your relationships in your life, but it's likely going to be frightening at first. The alternative is to live a fairly unhappy and unsatisfying life which, in which fear dictates your relationships and your choices. I don't know if we have thoughts on that, but... I- I I kind of have thoughts on this section globally, so I'm not sure if we want to just sure go for it. Talk about that or go through the rest of the section to put oh. in more context. Sure. Yes. Where does the section end? Where it says where to go from here? The sectioning in this book is horrible. I I think lar- largely just from here on out for a lot of the rest of the chapter, if I'm being honest. Okay. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I think we've almost been recording for an hour, so I feel like we can probably like skip a few things. I'm going to just read the headings and some key points. So another piece here is don't believe you deserve to be, or believe you don't deserve to be treated badly. What? You should believe that you don't deserve to be treated badly. That is a horrible title for a section. You don't deserve to be treated badly. Yeah, so you should believe that other people shouldn't treat you like shit. How many negatives can they have in that sentence? Okay, well then. I put this, I read this section here and it said, all people, not just non-borderlines, have the right to healthy relationships. However, after months or years of enduring excessive criticism, blame, and borderline rage, most non-borderlines may begin to question whether or not they deserve a healthy relationship. And I said, and vice versa, because a lot of the time we're the ones who are subject to excessive criticism, blame, border, or not borderline rage, but excessive criticism, blame, abuse, blah, 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 blah. And also don't feel that we deserve to have a healthy relationship because oftentimes we've been told that that by fucking professionals, like you're never going to have a healthy relationship. No one's ever going to love you. You're never going to be cured. Blah, 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 blah. So I had a bit of a rant. And then it says, do you believe that you have the following rights? you're gonna read the whole thing um i don't know i just like i think they want you to say yes to all of these Mm. and to me like less than half i would say you have a right to okay like the first one do you have the right 
to feel respected as a person. I mean, people use the word right. Yeah. I we think- have our degrees are in criminology. We believe like rights are very different. But should you in a relationship believe that you should be treated as and respected as a person? Yes. Yeah. Get your physical just- and emotional needs met. Yes. Be appreciated and not taken for granted. Yes. Communicate effectively with your partner. Yes. Have your privacy respected. Yes. Like, you know, all of these things, like they're not legal rights, Eric. No. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> but to me, rights means even if not legal rights, but at the expense of all else to me versus should I have these things, but should you have the right to get your physical and emotional needs met? Ooh, that's... To me, that means if I'm not getting my needs met, can I go get my needs met somewhere else and still or can I just take my needs? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just like, that's fair. There's some stuff that it's just, again, not enough context explanation around it. To me, it shouldn't be rights. It should be, these are things that are good to strive for in a healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I hadn't, uh, honestly, you're really right about that physical and emotional needs met. I hadn't, uh, I didn't read it like that. And in hindsight, it's actually pretty horrible. So facing your own issues about being needed. And then they talk a lot about codependence here. Um, and it like the rescue mentality. I think there's definitely some people who feel that way. If anything, sometimes I feel like I've known more people with borderline who feel the need to like help others more to their own detriment than I have seen it the other way around. But that's just my own experience. Um, focusing on your own issues. So some people try and change somebody else, which is they, some people find that trying to change somebody else is easier than changing themselves and focusing on the problem problems of others helps them avoid their own problems. So I think that's important. And that's one of those things that it's like, you know, maybe going to therapy is like a good way for that self-discovery. Right. So did you have thoughts on the overall? Yeah, my, my thoughts overall, and I think we didn't, touch into a lot of specific points that help illustrate my thoughts. But my thoughts overall is that a lot of it is like, is almost bordering on things that you should do or recognize in terms of like verbal and or emotional abuse kind of thing, Mm -hmm. as if that's exclusive to people with BPD. Um, interesting. Yeah, that that was kind of this past section. That was kind of my overall general thought is that you're a victim and here's what you can do and, and you are experiencing abuse. Right. It's not worded as abuse, but you are experiencing it, all of these things that are ab- abuse that's taken out of the context of it's a borderline personality disorder symptom would just be abuse. Yes. And and again, like the overgeneralization of the fact that like so many of these relationships aren't abusive or are abusive the other way around. Yeah. Like <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it. it could be one direction, it could be the other direction, it could be both. Totally. Or it could be none. Or it could be none. You could have a completely healthy relationship. Yeah. I feel like our relationship is not abusive in any way. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just operating under the assumption that there is, again, this one way. It's like very much pathologizing borderline in like every possible way. They Everything that they are doing is negative, except 
every once in a while they'll be like, but they're very energized. Like, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like super small. But they gasp real cute. Yeah, they do gasp real cute. That is not in here specifically. Which yeah, weird. We'll have to go on our edit. Yeah. I. How funny would it be to send them back a PDF with all the edits? I'm not going to do that, but it would be very entertaining. Yeah, I feel like we're reading too many like passages of the book to want to draw attention to the fact no. that we're reading passages. For the record, we looked into the legality of it. Okay. And we have the ability to do this. And if you are curious about the legality of this, you can check our show notes because we have all of the disclaimers about the legality of us reading passages in the show notes. Smart. Yes. Thank you, Sarah, for doing that homework because I was just gonna not. Um, okay, where do we go from here? hopefully to bed, because my God, ask yourself, how did I end up in this position? What have I learned about myself? What choices have I made in the past? And how are they the best ones for me right now? What is keeping me from standing up for myself? What can I do about it? What am I responsible for in this relationship? And what can I do about it? Uh, Note that we are not blaming you for what has happened to you in the past or the choices you've made, but not But only you, not the borderline, your therapist, or your friends can resolve these issues. It's up to you. Many introspective non-borderlines found that they discovered this about themselves. It was invaluable. I, sure, whatever. Whatever helps you sleep at night is fine. Um, And then it ends with, in this chapter, we've explored better ways to cope with with BPD behavior by simply making changes within yourself. Accepting that you can't make the borderline seek treatment, not taking the borderline's actions personally, taking care of yourself, and taking responsibility for your own behavior. Next, we'll look at beginning to change the way you interact with the borderline in your life. And chapter six will be reviewed by Sarah and Talon. I think I have one final note. Hit me, baby, one more time. For a chapter that is really all about focusing on yourself and what you can do it points out a lot of the problems with the other person there that's a good point that's all i had to say. yeah no that's a good point i mean yeah at the end of the day this book is really blaming us <laughs> so yeah. cool well that was an anticlimactic ending wasn't it folks uh, <laughs> not not you. Just stick around for Lori gasping. <laughs> if you don't follow Trey Kennedy on Instagram or whatever you want to use, he's probably on TikTok because he's an Instagram person, an influencer of sorts. He has this hilarious like skit called the Great Gatsby, and it's about how his <laughs> wife gasps at everything. And I send it to Aaron every time I see it, and it like brings me a lot of joy would highly recommend okay well thanks everyone uh we will see you in a couple weeks aaron and i and you will see sarah and talon next week for chapter six of stop walking on eggshells the review talk to you later hi friends thank you so much for listening to this episode of the bold beautiful borderline podcast Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey, and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about Borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. 
If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.